0: So we didn't finish chapter, we got up to that, uh, I don't know if the word is bewildering, but that interesting and lesson providing part of the 12th chapter where Brahma actually chases after his own daughter. So if you remember, the first 27 verses were talked about Brahma creating the four Kumaras, the Rudras, and the ten sages. And now we're going to hear about the secondary creation continuing. Um, and we, we, did, we only had one verse, uh, one purport in this, uh, the rest of this chapter that we were going to highlight. Um, so again, this is called visarga, right? Saga means creation, and visarga means subsequent creation or secondary creation, so Krishna creates Earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and false ego. And then he creates Brahma and gives Brahma the intelligence and the shakti to create all the stuff that we see around us. It's a mighty task. Uh, And so we also read, because we're going to be reading a little bit more about Lord Brahma and his daughter, we also read that um, this did not happen in the yuga or the um, millennium where Brahma heard the Bhagavatam. Brahma isn't always a pure devotee in different uh, incarnate. It, it's In one sense, it's a post, so they can be occupied differently. Um, so we're up to chapter, uh, verse 34 of the 12th chapter. Once upon a time, when Brahma was thinking of how to create the worlds, as in the past millennium, the four Vedas, which contain all varieties of knowledge, became manifest from his four mouths. Um, Prabhupada writes in the purport as a fire can consume anything and everything without being contaminated, so by the grace of the Lord, the fire of Brahma's greatness consumed his desire for the sinful acts with his daughter. The Vedas are the source of all knowledge, and they are first revealed to Brahma by the mercy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead while Brahma was thinking of recreating the material world. Brahma is powerful by dint of his devotional service unto the Lord, and the Lord is always ready to forgive his devotees if by chance he falls down from the noble path of devotional service. The Srimad Bhagavatam says, and this is a pretty famous verse, um, um, I, don't, I don't I didn't memorize this one, so I'm not so great with the Sanskrit, but Swapada Mulam Bhajta Priyasya Takvanya Bhavasya Hari Parisa Vikarma Yachcho Pitam Katanchid Dunoti Sarvam Riddisani Vishta Quote, Any person who is engaged one hundred percent in the transcendental loving service of the Lord at his lotus feet. Is very dear to the personality of Godhead Hari. And the Lord, being situated in the heart of the devotee, excuses all kinds of sins committed by chance. It was never expected that a great personality like Brahma would even think, would ever think of sex indulgence with his daughter. The example shown by Brahma only suggests that the power of material nature is so strong that it can act upon everyone, even Brahma. Brahmā was saved by the mercy of the Lord with a little punishment, but by the grace of the Lord, he did not lose his prestige as the great Brahmā. So this um, is also a very famous verse in the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 9, verse 30. Anyone know that verse? No? Everyone's going like this, but then... then. No. <laughs> so it says, mam <laughs> anonyabak. Sadur eva samantavya, um, samyag vasitohisa That even if one commits the most abominable activity, if they're engaged in devotional service, they are considered properly situated. Uh, the The Sanskrit is bhajate mam. Bhajate means bhajan or worship, mam to Krishna. Ananya bhak, which means ananya means ongoing, or it doesn't mean like eh, every now and then. So it's to to get that freedom from the reactions, uh, it doesn't happen just you know it, one has to be fully dedicated to the Lord. Um, so this is a whole discussion we could have for a whole class on on um, in the nectar of instruction. Srila Prabhupada talks about the elephant that takes a really nice bath, and then right after the bath, what does the elephant do? Rolls in the dirt, Rolls in the dirt. right? Right, and gets dirty again. Yeah. So there's a uh, process called prayaschitta. And prayaschitta means atonement. And we learn this in, in a lot of faiths. Um, you, I don't know, uh, my wife was a, somewhat a practicing Catholic. I wasn't. I grew up in the Jewish faith and barely, I could say the Jewish culture more than the Jewish faith. But, you know, you, 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 I've seen enough uh, movies to know that the, uh, you go to... Um, uh, what is it called? Confession, and you confess your sins, and you get some kind of instruction. You say so many Hail Marys, or or whatever, um, and then you're you know you get relieved from that. That's the reactions to that sin, or at least that's the Iskhan or the Krish Vedaization of it. Reactions to the sin, um, and the challenge is that ten, you tend to commit more sins, and then go to you know confession again. And become like a repeat offender, so to speak. You know, it's a. In other words, it's part of the uh, faith, and and I won't get into the the whole theology of it because you know the. I think there's an idea that basically we're sinners, um, but by Jesus's grace or by the Lord's grace, one can be. But Sheila um, Prabhupada ma- makes a distinction between prayaschitta, which they also have in the Vedas, right? You you for this sin, you do this atonement. Um, but the, the, the there's a big difference that Prabhupada points out that uh, between um, that and the kind of freedom from reactions that one gets by Krishna's mercy. Any any person who is engaged one hundred one hundred percent, one hundred percent in the devotional service of the Lord uh, is very dear, etc. And it gets excused of all kinds of sins committed by. And also here the word is chance, um, because bhakti uproots the desire that's the difference uh, in the brahma-saṅhītā kārmāni tabhakti bhajam. it cuts right at the root which is desire otherwise it, you know uh, atonement is kind of like you know taking a lawnmower and cutting down the dandel the weeds course, I don't know why they call dandelion weeds. They're actually really healthy for you, and they're kind of pretty. But anyway, weeds, right? But you don't get to the root, so they just, you know, next time it rains, they the weeds come up again. Uh, whereas bhakti is actually getting underneath the weed and pulling it out by the root, because it changes the, the desire in the heart. So um, that's so that's an important distinction between regular prayaschitta or atonement and actually uprooting, uh, which may clear out some of the reactions, but it's, sur- it's superficial. It's, uh, the example also the Prabhupada would sometimes give is that if you have a boil, right, and sometimes you blow on it, and that cools it down a little bit. But it's only a temporary thing. The real thing about the boil to get rid of it is that you have to actually, you know, surgically, well, there's different ways, but one way is to kind of surgically get at the root of it and take it out, right? Uh, yeah, anyone, we used to get a lot of boils in India, and there's usually a center, right? Right? Yeah, you have to... Excise? That's the name of what? When you take it out, yes. So, um, yeah, my wife used to give great pleasure in pressing on my boils and get them out, and, you know, and, and I'm screaming in pain, and she's like in ecstasy <laughs> as I'm in pain. But when that last part comes out, the center, right? and that pops out, then boils finished, the pain goes away, and uh, in a few days it heals up. So similarly, um, the difference between just blowing on a boil and uprooting the uh, the center of it. So that's an important distinction, and therefore, the main thing that we do when we make a boo-boo, when we make a mistake, when we commit a sinful activity, the main thing we do is engage in devotional service again take up hearing and chanting feel bad but don't feel bad forever pick ourselves up and get back in Krishna consciousness any questions about that? thoughts about that? yes Andy
1: hello yes uh, I had a little just to follow it in a little bit since you opened up the idea of sin it wasn't Taken out very far, as far as you could take in, in talking, addressing sin, because they point out that Brahma only had the inclination uh-huh. to have sex with his daughter. He didn't actually do it. He didn't it. actually do so it. So there's that. no telling what the punishment would have been. He did have to change his incarnation. He had to.
0: He changed later his on, body. He had to change subtly, his body. Subtly. His, his yeah. body
1: wa- wasn't um, appropriate for even right. that kind of sin in, of thinking, but there's mm-hmm. no telling what his punishment would have been right the more grievous sin of actually doing the act.
0: Right. And in Kali Yuga, right, there's that statement that you only get reactions for things that you do, not things that you think. But the, luckily, but the problem with that is that the nature of the material world is that it goes from subtle to gross. So when we think about something, we usually end up doing it. And that's also in the Bhagavad Gita in the uh, second chapter. diyato, Dhyayato means to think about or meditate. Dhyayato vishaya pungsam. By meditating on the sense objects, vishaya, dayoto uh, vishaya, punsang, sangha, you, you associate with sangha te shu bijayate, sangha sangjayate, kama, kama krodho bijayate, krodho bhavati samohat, sammohat, sammohat smriti bhi brahmaha, smriti brahmsat buddhinasho, nashat pranashati. So there's this process that begins with thinking and leads to our downfall. Or another way to look at it is um, the, this pras- Prabhupada would use the words thinking, feeling, and willing. And when one thinks about doing something material, then one starts developing a, you know, feelings, where then actually one wants to do it. So things go from subtle to gross. So one thing that a bhakta does, not, it's not the main thing, but one thing a bhakti does is that when, they see, when we see a thought that's not appropriate, we detach ourselves from the thought and say, I'm not this mind. It's just a thought. Just let it, let it come, let it go. It's not me. And we move on. And then we try to replace that the difference between a bhakta and a jnani is a jnani stops at that. Whereas a bhakti says, OK, instead of thinking of that material thing, let me think of Krishna. So it fills it up with something other, something else. Other thoughts on this? OK, then we're going to go through the, um, through the verses kind of quickly then uh, until we get to the end and then go to the next chapter. The four kinds of paraphernalia for conducting the fire sacrifice became manifest. The performer, the chanter, the offerer, the fire, and the action performed in terms of the supplementary Vedas. Also, the four principles of religiosity. Does anyone know what those are? The four principles of religiosity? Uh, yep, that's well, yes, yes, mercy, compassion, truthfulness, truthfulness. Austerity. austerity. Very good. <laughs> yeah, right. Truth, austerity, mercifulness, and cleanliness. And the duties of the four social orders all became manifest. Then Vidura said, Vidura is speaking to Maitreya. O great sage, whose only wealth is penance, kindly explain to me how and with whose help Brahma established the Vedic knowledge which emanated from his mouth. So this this is interesting. His wealth was penance. So wealth, um, not not entirely, but in some ways wealth was... um, defined differently in the, in the traditional Vedic culture. Not completely, because there was also descriptions of big palaces and gold ornaments and opulent food and things like that. But also, a person was considered wealthy if they had cows and land, where they could they can get grain and they could get milk. they didn't have to go to Walmart. They didn't have to buy a Lexus. They just, you know, they had, the, the, they had what they needed and ec- economic, the economy was taken care of. We worry so much about the economy, right? If, if we've invested, especially if we have any investments, we look at the stock exchange, and, you know, should I sell, should I buy? You know, so much anxiety, and then the tax comes, and then the state tax comes, you know, you know so much. But there, cows, land, okay, that's that, that, that problem. But here, for the brahmana, for the tapasvi, their wealth was penance. Their wealth was living simply, right? <laughs> it's just like I have a coworker, uh, and you know, I've have t- told her a little bit about my life that I was a brahmachari and uh, what a brahmachari is. They just when I young when I was young, just sleep on the floor, and all my possessions fit in a box about this big, you know, two dhotis, two kurtas, toothbrush, you know, and it's such a simple life, and uh, so. We were talking about, about work and uh, uh, about um, my my because uh, I work for the federal government and uh, so the person who uh, supervises me said, well, if you can do this and this, uh, you know, you'll get a promotion. And I was and I and so I was talking to my coworker and I was just saying, he, he doesn't really understand me, that, you know, that's not what really motivates me. And she, and she said, yeah, I know. He doesn't know that you live with nothing for a decade you, know, you can just sleep on the floor anywhere and he's trying to moti- uh, motivate you by a promotion but that wasn't you know, generally what motivates me so, it was, so there's a different definition of wealth to some extent at least for the, for the sannyasis, for the brahmanas for the brahmacharis, their wealth was in their, in their simplicity and their austerity um, and living with the, uh, you know, the simple things in life any thoughts about wealth? That doesn't mean we, in, in, you know, like even Srila Prabhupada said about buying cheap things and buying good things. He said, if you buy a cheap thing, you cry many times, and if you buy a good thing, you cry once. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> there's that practical side also to things, you know. <laughs> Maitreya said, beginning from the front face of Brahma, gradually the four Vedas, Rig, uh, Yajur, Sama, and Atharva, became manifest. Thereafter, Vedic hymns, which had not been pronounced before, priestly rituals, the subject matters of the recitation, and transcendental activities, were all established one after another. So Brahma's establishing all these things as he's creating. He also created the medical science, military art, musical art, and architectural science, all from the Vedas. What is the architectural science called? Well, here it's called uh, stapatyam, also sometimes uh, vastu, right? All from the Vedas. They all emanated one after another, beginning from the front face. Then he created the fifth Veda, the Puranas and the Histories, and from all his mouths, since he could see all the past, present, and future. All the different varieties of fire sacrifice became manifest from the eastern mouth of Brahma. Education, charity, penance, and truth are said to be the four legs of religion. (coughs) And to learn this, there are four orders of life with different classifications of castes according to vocation. Brahma created all these in systematic order. So he created the Varnashram system which has become degraded into the caste system, right, where things are based by, on birth, but actually Krishna says guna karma, that, they, that, that one should, they should be based on one's activities, karma, and one's qualities, not by one's birth. Right. But he created the, all these things. Uh, then the thread ceremony for the twice-born was inaugurated, as were the rites, uh, rules, to be followed for at least one year after acceptance of the Vedas rules for accepting complete abstinence from sex life, vocations in terms of Vedic injunctions, various professional duties in household life, and the method of maintaining a livelihood without anyone's cooperation by picking up rejected grains. So that's for the real tapasvi. <laughs> the four divisions of retired life are uh, Vallakila. Uh, yes. Well, these are hard ones, Adumbaras and Pinappas. The four divisions of the renounced order are the kutichaks, Bhavodas, hangsas, and nishkriyas. All these were manifest from Brahma. So even within that system of uh, ashram, there's different levels. The science of logical argument, what is that called? Usually, nyaya, right? The Vedic goals of life, um, and also law and order, moral codes, and the c- uh, celebrated hymns, Bhū, Bhūva, and swa, all became manifest from the mouths of Brahmā. And the pranava Omkar was manifest from his heart. Thereafter, the art of literary expression, uh, ushnik, was generated from the hairs of the body of the almighty Prajapati. The principal Vedic hymn, Gayatri, was generated from the skin. trist, Tristup, from the flesh, anusrup, from the veins, and jagati, from the bones of the Lord of the living entities. The art of writing verse became manifest from the bone marrow, and that of brihati, another type of verse, was generated from the life breath of the Lord of the living entities. Brahma's soul was manifest as the touch alphabets, his body as the vowels, his senses as the alphabets, his strength as the intermediate alphabets and his sensual activities as the seven notes of music. So basically the idea is he created everything. <laughs> Brahma is the personal represent- representation of the Supreme Personality of Godhead as a source of transcendental sound and therefore above the conception of manifested and unmanifested. Brahma is the complete form of the absolute truth as a, and is invested with multifarious energies. Thereafter, Brahma accepted another body in which sex life was not forbidden, and thus he engaged himself in the matter of further creation. O son of the Kurus, when Brahma saw that in spite of the presence of sages of great potency, there was no sufficient increase in population, he seriously began to consider how the population could be increased. Brahma thought to himself, alas, it is wonderful that in spite of my being scattered all over, there is still insufficient population throughout the universe. There is no other cause for this misfortune but destiny. While he was thus absorbed in contemplation and observing the supernatural power, two f- other forms were generated from his body. They are still celebrated as the body of Brahma. The two newly separated bodies united in a sexual relationship. Out of them, the one who had the male form became known as Manu, namely Swayambhuva, and the woman became known as Satarupa, the queen of the great soul Manu. Thereafter, they gradually increase generations of population one after another. O son of Bharata, in the due course of time, he, Manu, begot in satarupa five children, two sons. So this is this may sound like, my God, this is a lot of details, but the third and fourth canto deal, and the fifth canto, um, deal with uh, the offspring of Priyavrata and Uttanupad. So that's what we're, we're getting kind of set up for all of this, so. Uh, Two, two sons, Priyavrata and Uttanapad, and three daughters, Akuti, Devahuti, and Prasuti. And we're going to hear the importance, especially of Devahuti, who um, marries... Um, who does Devahuti marry? Oh, uh, no, there's the Devahuti, Devahuti, the... Kardama, yeah. And uh, Kasyapa is her husband. No. Kasyapa is her father. Yes. I knew I'd get it right one of these days. Well, something like that. Anyway, it's later on in the... We'll find out soon. The father, Manu, handed over his first daughter, Akuti, to the sage Ruchi. Here we go. The middle daughter, so Devahuti uh, Manu's daughter, to the sage Kardama. Yes. The son was Kapila. That's what it is. Okay. Got it. All right. So Devahuti is obviously, it says here, the... the uh, Daughter of Manu, she marries Kardama Muni, and they have Supreme Personality of Godhead Kapila, the son The youngest Prasuti to Daksha From them all the world filled with population. Thus end the Bhaktivedanta purports of the third canto, 12th chapter of the Srimad Bhagavatam entitled creation of the Kumaras and others. So any questions about that? We went through it quickly. One thing that's mentioned here that is interesting is, so he said that there wasn't enough population, and he offered this to destiny. So then the question, and this could be again a two-hour discussion about what, is, what do we mean by destiny? Because right? there's different aspects of destiny. There's, first of all, there is our karma right what activities that we've done in this life and in previous lives that impact the outcome of certain things in this life then there's the will of the lord right um who, or, um which is sometimes called um what's the english word that Srila Prabhupada uses sometimes instead of destiny providence not the place in Rhode Island but the uh, you know the providence uh, the will the will of the lord because krishna can can do anything, just like the, you know, they're saying you know, that there, there's a science of palmistry, right? But if one claps one's hands in front of the deities, the lines can change by, by the will of the Lord, right? Um, and, and we've already spoke about this, that karma, and then there's free will, that each of us have our free will to choose how we, our basic free will is how destiny will affect us how we react to the ups and downs of this world, uh, as we, of this life that we live. Um, And the intricacies of karma and free will. And we've already given that example when you're like, you're flying in the airplane, right? It's destined to go, just like last night. Uh, Yesterday I went to Chicago and back the same day. Six o'clock in the morning flight, 10 o'clock at night return. Um, So the flight was destined to go to Chicago, but I had my free will, on the airplane, whether I wanted to, you know, go to sleep or chant Hare Krishna or read a book or talk to the person sitting next. There was no one sitting next to me. It was an empty flight, but uh, six in the morning on a Saturday to Chicago. Uh, so we have our, we have, so, so destiny is, um, is uh, interesting. But here, Brahma says that he saw no other cause for this misfortune but destiny. So destiny, um, providence, and our karma and our free will. These are all interesting, because they all piece together to form what happens to us in life. Any thoughts on that? Or are we destined not to have any questions at this time? All right, go ahead.
1: You could just say that uh, your actions are like in a scope inside destiny. Destiny is an outer scope. In other words, if everybody did everything perfectly, there would still be a course of
0: events. That would be destiny. It would still be a course, but it would be a good course. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you could bend or kind of where destiny has to go by doing some outrageous things. But uh, that's what I I think what Brahma was saying. So given everything is normal... This is just the destiny of what's going to happen anyway.
0: Yeah, uh, let's see. What is the word for destiny here? Daivam. Daivam, literally. Now, daivam, generally, we say is the Lord, is uh, Krishna's intervention. Yes. So, you know, we we say uh, that um, what happens to a devotee is all Krishna's mercy. That doesn't mean that, you know, all the lights turn green and, you know you get a million dollars and all that and I know I've used this example but again uh, for those of us who don't know the story it's such a nice story about the king and his minister and the king has an accident right and he loses a finger and the minister says my dear king that was Krishna's mercy and you know what it's like when you say when you're upset and somebody says it's God's mercy you get really angry and you know don't give me that God's mercy thing so he was a king so he put the person in jail Right? And, and these, the jail in those times was not a nice place, you know, 10-course meals and all that sort of It wasn't the Sunday feast. It was, uh, it was not very nice. So anyway, so he put him in jail, and then the king did what kings did in those days and went off to try to conquer uh, or went on a tour of his kingdom, and he ran into some uh, uh, worshipers of that offer uh, humans to the, the goddess Kali. So he was captured, and he was about to be killed, and then they saw that one of his fingers was missing, and they couldn't offer an imperfect specimen to the goddess, so he was saved. So then he comes back to the kingdom and uh, lets out the minister out of it. And he said, you know, you're right. That was really Krishna's mercy. That, I lost that finger. But he said, help me understand how you being in jail for the last month in this terrible place is Krishna's mercy. Right? And the minister said, well, usually I tour with you, and I have all ten fingers. <laughs> So, so um, often we see Krishna's mercy in 2020 hindsight. After the event, you know, while we're in the middle of it, we're saying, "God, why are you doing this to me?" Right. But there's often uh, a silver lining even in the most difficult of situations. So, should we go on to the next chapter? Yes, uh, microphone. Yeah,
1: you you had mentioned previously in a class, height is your karma, weight is your free will. Yes,
0: <laughs> yes. Height is your karma and weight is your free will. Very good. <laughs> I think it gives us a uh, pretty good idea of understanding it. Yes. <laughs> and the idea, of course, is that we can't do something nonsense, you know, a word that Prabhupada used to like to use, and then say, no, no it was God's mercy. He allowed me to do it, right? Um, we, have to ta- we have to take some responsibility, Yeah. Responsibility and accountability are big words in, uh, in the workplace, right? Uh, and also in Krishna consciousness. <laughs> okay, so now the next chapter is a fascinating chapter, right? Because um, Varaha, his picture is right there, is uh, going to appear... And we see him there, he's lifting the earth. And um, the the chapter begins with um, talking about the importance of hearing. And even says that when you hear about Krishna, you get the same taste that the very, very advanced devotees experience. Uh, And Maitreya becomes very enlivened to hear, uh, becomes very enlivened because Vidura is so eager to hear. So eager to hear. So that enlivens him. And um, he tells about Manu's humble request. Manu went up to his father, Lord Brahma, and he said, please order me to serve. How can I serve you? And which is interesting because Srila Prabhupada said the only question he ever asked of his guru was? Anyone know? The only question he said is, how can I serve you? Yes. Um... So Brahma orders uh, Manu to populate the universe That's one thing, to um, follow the rules according to bhakti, and to perform jaggya, perform sacrifice. And Manu says, hey, wait a second, well, before we populate the world, uh, the, the earth's in the water. <laughs> How can we populate it when it's surrounded by water? Um, and so... Um, even Brahma says, Oh, well, you yeah, know, yeah, to get, how's that going how are we going to deal with that? And he needs Krishna's help. As he's thinking, now, that, you know, who could make this up, <laughs> right? As Lord Brahma's thinking, this little uh, boar, pig, right? Uh, boar is like a pig, comes out of Brahma's nose, expands and expands into the sky, uh, and you know, the sages, these are all brilliant sages that, you know, they, they would all, what is the Mensa Society? Is that what it is? They would all, you know, ace the Mensa Society. <laughs> and they're not just thinking, come on, this isn't really happening, God, you know. <laughs> Maybe I took some LSD or something, you know, if somebody put something in my lunch. No, they, they, they offered Vedic prayers to, to the Lord in this form and, um, uh, <clears throat> and glorified him. And he was very beautiful and transcendental um, and Prabhupada writes, it's difficult to understand this past time, but it's even more difficult to understand in one sense the relationship that Krishna has in Braj in Vrindavan, with his most intimate devotees. Uh, it's because to understand both of them, one requires purity. Okay, so um, the sages glorify uh, him, and Vraha um, finds the earth by scent and delivers the earth like that. Mm -hmm. so shall we begin chapter so uh, chapter 13 Sri Sukadeva Goswami said O King, after hearing, hearing all these most virtuous topics from the great sage Maitreya Vidura inquired further on the topics of the supreme personality of Godhead which he adored to hear so this we will know we've really made spiritual advancement when we are so eager to hear about Krishna. That, that eagerness to hear. Like, like Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, when, uh, when I hear the Murdanga and kartals and the kirtan, my heart jumps for joy, and I immediately want to run to join the kirtan. So that's, that is a uh, symptom of having Krishna's mercy. Well, Vidura said, O great sage, what did Swayambhuva, the dear son of Brahma, do after attaining his very loving wife. O best of the virtuous, the original king of kings, Manu, was a great devotee of the personality of Godhead Hari, and thus it is worth hearing of his sublime character and activities. Please describe them. I am very eager to hear. Persons who hear from a spiritual master with great labor and for a long time must hear from the mouths of pure devotees about the character and activities of pure devotees. Pure devotees always think within their hearts of the lotus feet of the Supreme Personality of Godhead who avoids his devotees' liberation. Then Prabhupada writes, "Not not only must we hear about the activities of the Lord, but they, pure devotees, must also hear about the transcendental qualities of the devotees who are constantly thinking of the lotus feet of the Lord within their heart. So, and it goes on. Um, uh, So why is it so important to hear about devotees? Any thoughts? Peace. Peace, okay, good. Inspiration. Inspiration. Right, they are meant to be, the word is acharya. Acharya means one who teaches by example, right? So uh, we're meant to, they're meant to set an example to follow in their footsteps. That doesn't mean we can be exactly like Prahlad Maharaj, but um, this is an important point. It even um, is to some extent, not to, again, not to simplify theological history, but to some extent the break in the two paths of, of Christianity because in Protestant Christianity, generally the idea is that you can never really be Christ-like. You're, you're sinful by nature, but everything just depends on having faith and accepting the Lord in your heart. Right? Right? You know, you, have you been saved or not? It, there's, it's kind of black and white. At least in my, my limited experience, and I admit limited, but I remember sometimes distributing books and running into a Protestant Christian and... You know, have you, they would say, have you been saved? Have you bathed in the blood? I was like, you know. But um, whereas Catholicism is, is a little bit is, of course the mercy of God is important, but um, it, it would, you're meant to um, work, work not in, not in the sense of getting up in the morning, going to work, but doing activities in, in uh, service and devotion to God. Not that the Protestants don't say that, but it's, it's a question of, uh, of emphasis, um, and then to become more Christ-like. So Prabhupada, so the question was, you know, do we think the Prabhupada was this great, great devotee, or any of the great teachers, not just Srila Prabhupada, but the great acharyas uh, in our line, and also in the Bhagavatam, Prahlad Maharaj, Juva Maharaj, right? When you think about it, the the Bhagavatam is full of descriptions of not only about God but of God's devotees, right? Bhisma, Day, the, the Pandavas, Arjuna. Um, help me here. Who else? Kajendra. Who else? Vidura. Think about Dwarka, Brindavan. Huh? Uddhava. Yeah. Udhava. What about the gopis? They're devotees, right? <laughs> the gopas, Rukmini, Satyabama, right? So many, all about devotees, right? All the, the, of the, upper all the world, yes, the, the higher planets are devotees. They maybe have some Mishra, some mixed, some mixed bhakti, but yes, yes. So, the, so um, uh, there was this time when Srila Prabhupada was, uh, devotees had made this new suite that, that be, later became an ISKCON regular. And uh, I think someone just made it up. It was, it's butter, um, uh, um, powdered milk, raisins, sugar, of course, and sometimes vanilla flavoring, right? Roll it up into a ball, right? And they gave it to Srila Prabhupada. And they, he said, this is simply wonderful. And they, they became known as simply wonderfuls, right? And then the devotees said, Prabhupada, you are simply wonderful. But then underneath his breath, if you listen to the tape carefully, he says, you all become. Now that may sound like a simple thing, but it's actually a deep philosophical point. He meant that we should try to be like him. Not that we're ever going to be exactly like Srila Prabhupada, but, but meant to really try hard to be A good devotee not to think all the great souls they're fantastic they're so great i can never be like them but i'll just you know i just accept that they're great and get on with life but he meant for us to become advanced and not just um sit on our you know derriere and uh let god do all the work so to speak so it's 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 a balance because we also have the example of uh of the monkeys the baby monkey and the kitten, right? The, uh, anyone who's been to India or maybe even to some zoos know that the. Mon- I have so many monkeys. I have a, a house in Vrindavan, and there's so many monkeys where I live. It's incredible. And so you see the mother monkey is jumping around, and the baby monkey is on her underbelly holding on for dear life. So that's our endeavor. And then the cat and the kitten the kitten is totally dependent on the mother. The mother has the kitten in her mouth, and that same mouth that kills rats and mice is holding the kitten, and the kitten has no, is, just, is just based totally on mercy. So we're meant to have that balance, that we're supposed to you know, work hard like the monkey, but also depend fully on the Lord like the kitten. Of the two, the kitten's the, the Lord's mercy is more important but as uh, Prabhupada liked George Harrison's quote where he said uh, in the beginning of Krishna book, uh, God helps those who help themselves, right? So it does take some endeavor on our part. We are meant to try to become a devotee like Prabhupada, like the devotees. Not that we're ever gonna be exactly on that level, but become Christ-like in that sense. Is, that, is this some questions or thoughts on this? Is it clear? Okay? Be that way. A. Uh, unfortunately, the Lord is always, undoubtedly, not unfortunately, undoubtedly, Lord is always within the hearts of all living creatures, but they hardly know about it because they are deluded by the illusory material energy. The devotees, however, realize the presence of the Lord, and therefore they can always see the lotus feet of the Lord within their hearts. So, how often do we think that Krishna is in our heart? Is it a twenty-four-seven thing? Maybe for you? No. <laughs> if it were the case, yeah. So we're in Maya. <laughs> we're to some extent. We're to some extent. We're in Maya, um, and therefore we can't realize the Lord is accompanying us always. We think we're kind of on a separate program. Krishna, you go that way. I'm going this way. <laughs> kind of thing. Um, or as who was it? Was it Hiranyakashipu's? Or is it uh, Ravana's? Uh, or was it who the uh, ministers who weren't very Krishna conscious who said, "And you don't have to worry about Vishnu. He's locked up in everybody's hearts. He can't do anything." Remember that. You are like, any Kashifus' ministers, <laughs> right, Yeah. Um, so um, Krishna is in our hearts, and the pure devotee realizes that, and that's one reason that they're so special. And therefore it's very, as you said, it's very inspiring to hear about the pastimes of the, Lord, uh, the devotee. And to and when we use the word "pastimes, we also have to be a little careful. Um, because we might, like, for example, Srila Prabhupada came, he, he had no money, right? He had the instructions of his guru to leave India, come to America and teach about Krishna. He had the name of one person, Mr. Agarwal, in Butler, Pennsylvania, middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania, hours outside of Pittsburgh. Never been to America. He didn't fly here. He, took a, he got a free passage on a steamship. And he suffered two heart attacks on the way here. So if we, so if we think, oh, that's just pastimes, that minimizes the the struggle that this great soul actually went through to come here. So we can't. So it, it's it's tricky. Again, this is a little subtle. But if we just think, oh, it's pastimes, just like you know, Krishna like varaha lifting the earth. Well, that. Obviously, it didn't take any effort because it's a pastimes of the Lord, and He can do anything. But Prabhupada actually suffered the heart attacks. He actually didn't know, as he, he said, when, when he went down the plank of the ship in, uh, in New York, he didn't know whether to turn left or turn right. He just didn't know anybody. He went to a totally strange country. So that. Um, but if we just oh, it's Prabhupada's pastime. It, we, you know, we. Try to, we try to understand just what a deep devotion and what a deep commitment it takes to do something that at the age of 70, right? it's, 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 it's an amazing feat. It's an amazing feat. So therefore, just like last week, uh, a lot of devotees went to New York to uh, see the premiere of the new movie about Sheila Prabhupada that was playing in the movie theater in New York. And they were so inspired because why? Because they heard about about, you know, they 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 saw the example of a great devotee on, on the movie screen. So then it goes on to say, now this is this is a deeper philosophical point. In fact, where is it? I just had it aside. In fact, uh, the devotees, however, realized the presence of the Lord, except the, Such pure devotees of the Lord are as glorious as the Lord. They are, in fact, recommended by the Lord as more worshipable than he himself. Now, why is that? The answer wasn't yes or no. (laughs) I said, why is that? And he goes, yes. Okay, what's the answer? That was covered before,
1: and they said that like your uh, guru or something, simply because of his proximity to you, yes. can do actually do things that Krishna can't do. That's what was said. And it's very well, hard to understand. One can
0: do what Krishna can't do by Krishna's mercy. Yes, right. Um, and they're much more on a certain level. They're more accessible. Uh, the example is more accessible, and also. The uh, the simple example, I know we've given all these examples, but they're worth hearing again and again um, that if you go up to a very wealthy person, let's say uh, you're in, well, of course, yeah, okay, in Potomac Village, right? If, if you have the, park, the shopping center over here. Um, hey, what can you do for one of those rich people who's driving a Maserati, right? Uh, how can you, you know, really, you know, what can you do for them? You know, uh, Buy them a coffee at Starbucks? <laughs> That's like, they don't need that, right? But um, if you had a, a very you know, inexpensive candy that you got at Rite Aid, and you gave it to their child, now of course in these days, they would never accept it, right? Because they think it's poison or something, but in the old days, uh, right? And, and the child was happy, then the very wealthy person would be so happy with you, because you pleased so similarly. Um, it's one thing to please God, but, but to please someone who's dear to Krishna, then, then that melts Krishna's heart. That melts Krishna's heart. So that's why. So um, uh, there's so many verses in the Shastra that recommend this. Mahat sevam, Dwara ahur muktes. That uh, by sevam means service. Mahat means a great soul. Mahat sevam, dwaram the gate, opens up to the spiritual world to one who serves uh, Hare Krishna, yasya prasada bhagava prasada yasya prasada naga tigatopi. That by the mercy of a devotee, one gets the mercy of Krishna. Yes, anything else? You're grabbing the mic. Well, your
1: explanation was better. It's not because of the proximity, it's because the
0: situation
1: the relationship yeah yeah relationship. krishna can not do based something on that requires that relationship
0: not everything but so many things in this world are based on relationships i for my work that's the nature of my work is conflict resolution and dealing with people in the workplace and i you know i, I know that it's not what you know it's who you know in this world <laughs> if you want to get you know so that's true in the spiritual world also you know the devotees joke that you know that if they 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 pass they they when they pass away and uh... and you know the the you know Yamaraj or whatever krishna looks like okay well you know you got a lot in the positive category but you got some things in the negative category and the devotees say could you just check with ac bhaktivedanta swami Prabhupada just you know just give him a call before you make a decision <laughs> yeah. and then uh, say well he distributed my books he did so much service okay right, (laughs) that the pure devotee has that uh, power. Sri Sukadeva Goswami said, the personality of Godhead Sri Krishna was pleased to place his lotus feet on the lap of Vidura, wow, because Vidura was very meek and gentle. The sage Maitreya was very pleased with Vidura's words, and being influenced in his spirit, he attempted to speak. Maitreya said, the sage Maitreya said to Vidura, after his appearance, Manu, the father of mankind, along with his wife, thus addressed the reservoir of Vedic wisdom, Brahma, with with obeisances and folded hands. You are the father of all living entities and the source of their subsistence, subsistence because they are all born of you. Please order us how we may be able to render service unto you. O worshipful one, please give us your direction for the execution of duty within our working capacity, so that we can follow it for fame in this life and progress in the next. Who's speaking to who? It's Manu speaking to Brahma, son speaking to the father. Lord Brahma said, My dear son, O Lord of the world, I am very pleased with you, and I desire all blessings for both you and your wife. You have without reservation surrendered yourself unto me, with your heart for my instructions. O oh, hero, your example is quite befitting a son in relationship with his father. This sort of adoration for the superior is required. One who is beyond the limit of envy who is, and who is sane accepts the order of his father with great delight and executes it to his full capacity. So things have changed. But even when I remember when I first moved to India in the late 80s, you could see in in a lot of families this kind of mood between father and son. Isn't it? That the instructions of the father, that was it. You know, I remember one time I was in Delhi and I was talking to this very nice family, and the, the son said, If my father told me start walking towards Vrindavan, and it was May, and, and it's so hot, I'd start walking. And then if I got halfway there and he said, walk back, I'd walk back. You know, he was just saying, he said, this is how much love I have for my father. Uh, of course, these days now, you know, um, you'll see sometimes uh, fathers and son in court <laughs> fighting over some land or something like that. So things uh, have changed. But this was the tradition even a short time ago. Did you see this when you grew up? Are you like that with your father? (laughs) No. (laughs) You have nice parents. I met your parents. Uh, Since you are my very obedient son, I ask you to beget children qualified like yourself in the womb of your wife. Rule the world in pursuance of the principles of devotional service unto the supreme personality of Godhead and thus worship the Lord by the performance of yagya, sacrifice. Those are the three things. (coughs) Manu asked of, uh, Brahma asked of Manu. Text 12, O King, if you can give proper protection to the living entities in the material world, that will be the best service for me. Okay, did you hear that? When you can give proper protection, that'll be service to me. When the Supreme Lord sees you to be a good protector of the conditioned souls, certainly the master of the senses will be very pleased with you. Prabhupada writes, so here's a few things. One is, the law book for the entire human society is the Manu Samhita, which directs all activities to the transcendental service of the Lord. So this, this is important. If you, can, if you take a lot of the saying, things out of, the, out of context in Manu Samhita, you can get some interesting worldviews. But it's important here to also understand it's not necessarily all completely devotional, but it is, as Prabhupada writes here, it directs activities towards bhakti by creating kind of a sane society and things. How much, if everything in there uh, can be applied today, that is a question for the ages, or for the sages, or for both, (laughs) because it's uh, not necessarily, you know, you take something from one culture and try to transform it into, well, if you consider this a culture, that's another thing, right? The famous saying of uh, when Mahatma Gandhi was asked, what do you think of Western civilization? and he answered No he said he said what do you think of western civilization he said that would be a good idea <laughs> if, if if it became civilized so um it's it's a uh, and this is one of the reasons why if someone really wants to practice bhakti it's so helpful to read the shastra regularly because it really does give us a different world view you know because we can become so surrounded just like the fish doesn't realize the fish is in water right because they're just so used to being in water right so we can be kind of so surrounded uh, is it here no it's oh yeah here we go wait wait no it's a l- oh yeah okay let's read this the law of, okay Uh, Every king, therefore, must know that his responsibility in administration is not merely to exact taxes from the citizen but to see personally that the citizens under him are being trained in Vishnu or God worship. The conditioned souls are meant not to satisfy the material senses but to satisfy the senses of Rishikesh, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. That is the purpose of the complete administrative system. So, Obviously, this is very different than the governance in the world today, right? And a matter of fact, you know, people would even be weary of seeing this because the examples they see of of state governments that are run by uh, faith are, you know, kind of extreme and radical, right? And, uh, um, but certain, but, you know, (laughs) If we think that this is the responsibility, we see that the president—you know—I work for the government uh, has a very different worldview, <laughs> like totally different, like another planet. Right? I don't think anyone would think that uh, that, that the that the goal of being a senator or congressman is to make everyone God conscious, right? Or even to make everyone peaceful, you know, um, like that. So. Um, it's the 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 shastra presents quite a radically different worldview i think my wife's last uh, blog she writes a blog every week in the uh in the uh of dc website and i think the last one and the one before that talked about Prabhupada as a what was it a revolutionary because he had been he had been um, (laughs) some scholar had called him that or somebody had called him a revolutionary and and my wife really liked that, the vision of Prabhupada as a revolutionary, Because this is revolutionary stuff, a, a, a lot of it. Um, and it presents a different view of how to see things. Any thoughts?
1: Hare Krishna. Yeah, the, uh, I guess, contemporary lifestyle says we should focus more on Rajogun and Tamogun, yes. you know, mode of passion, mode of ignorance. So here we are saying, okay, for let's uh, put that aside and f- try to focus on mode of goodness. And not only that, just try to go beyond the mode of goodness. Right.
0: So, right, um, right. So, uh, uh, that, That's very nice the way you put that. Because in one place, Prabhupada writes that, um, I'm paraphrasing now, but basically... The idea of success is the mode of passion. Yeah, that, that's the idea of success, right? Um, and so the idea of success being the mode of goodness is is radical. Yeah. Could you imagine going getting an MBA in the mode of goodness? Now be very ethical and every, No, I mean of course. Some of that they teach. I'm sure they teach ethics, but it. It's, it's, it's a different mindset, yeah. It's a different mindset. Yeah. So in the Vedic culture, Prabhupada would say that the, the ideal, at least in the material world, was the mode of goodness, cleanliness, austerity, truthfulness, kindness to other living entities, etc., compassion, things like that. Yeah. It's a def- it's a, and it's hard because we're surrounded by the other... Text 13, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Lord Krishna, is the form to accept all the results of sacrifice. If he is not satisfied, then one's labor for advancement is futile. He is the ultimate self, and therefore, one who does not satisfy him certainly neglects his own interests. Then Manu said, O powerful, O All-powerful Lord, O killer of all sins, I shall abide by your order. He's speaking to his father. Now please let me know my place and that of the living entities born of me. O master of the demigods, please attempt to lift the earth, which is merged. So he's telling Brahma, please, you know, the earth's in bad shape. In the great water, because it is the dwelling place for all living entities, it can be done by your endeavor and by the mercy of the Lord. Maitreya said, Thus, seeing the earth emerge in the water, Brahma gave his attention for a long time to how it could be lifted. Brahma thought, while I have been engaged in the process of creation, the earth has been inundated by a deluge and has gone down to the depths of the ocean. What can we do who are engaged in this matter of creation? It is best to let the Almighty Lord direct us. O sinless Vidura, all of a sudden, when Brahma was engaged in thinking, a small form of a boar came out of his nostril. The measurement of the creature was not more than the upper portion of a thumb. O descendant of Bharata, when Brahma was observing him, the boar became situated in the sky in a wonderful manifestation as gigantic as a great elephant. Struck with wonder at observing the wonderful boar-like form in the sky, Brahma with great brahmanas like Marichi, as well as the Kumaras and Manu, began to argue in various ways. Is this some extraordinary entity, come in the pretense of a boar? It is is very wonderful that it has come from my nose. First of all, this boar was seen no bigger than the tip of a thumb, and within a moment, he's as large as a stone. My mind is perturbed. Is he the supreme personality of God at Vishnu? when Brahma was deliberating with his sons, the personality of God at Vishnu roared tumultuously like a great mountain. And in the purport, Prabhupada writes, it appears that great hills and mountains also have their roaring power because they are also living entities. So I was thinking about this. Um, I work with Native Americans in my job. So I was in Albuquerque this week. And any, how many, anyone here been to Albuquerque? No? You've been, yes. So there's that mountain... On the eastern side, and there's a quite a large mountain um, range actually, but the, there's one big mountain on the eastern side of uh, of Albuquerque, and so I was with the uh, Pueblo tribes. There's 12, I think, or 13 Pueblo tribes in uh, in America, They're in one of the Indian tribes. So one of them was telling me uh, that that mountain, when he grew up, was considered sacred, and so there's and when and then I started thinking how all the different. Ideas we have of sacred mountains. Anyone name some sacred mountains in the world? Mount Himalayas, Himalayas, yes, yeah. Mount Meru? Govardhan, I see, most devotional one, yes, yes. Noah's Ark? Uh, I'm not familiar, oh yeah, yeah, right, right. And then how about the one, uh, the Ten Commandments took place? Mount Sinai, yeah. right? It's Mount Sinai. Um, any others you can think of? There's a lot, actually, in many, in almost in every culture. There's the idea of uh, a mountain, uh, mountains being sacred. In one way or another, and in, in, certainly in Christianity, certainly in Judaism, certainly in Islam, certainly in Krishna consciousness or in the Vedas, right, We could we could we could name some more probably, right? Uh, Kailash, Mount Kailash. Is another one, right? And for the Native Americans, a lot of the mountains out west are considered sacred. In Nepal, was it Kailash in Nepal, perhaps? Um, in China, okay. Um, so it's so it's not it's not just <laughs> it's it's a uh, it's it's interesting. Or even um, uh, John Denver wrote a song, "Rocky Mountain High." And one of the uh, stanzas goes, "You can talk to God and listen to His casual reply." Rocky Mountain High, you know, and he's talking about the just how uh, awe-inspiring he found the uh, the Colorado Rockies. He, yeah. Um, so they have a certain shakti in them. Yeah, uh, and, and it's mentioned here and used as a uh, Metaphor here, or a simile. The omnipotent Supreme Personality of God had enlivened Brahma and the other highly elevated Brahmanas by again roaring with his uncommon voice, which echoed in all directions. When the great sages and thinkers who are residents of Chanalok, Tapalok, and satchalok those are the people you were mentioning, the higher planets before, uh, heard the tumultuous voice of Lord Bor, which was the all-auspicious sound of the all-merciful Lord. They chanted auspicious chants from the three Vedas. Playing like an elephant, he entered into the water after roaring again, and in reply to the Vedic prayers by the great in reply to the Vedic prayers by the great devotees. The Lord is the object of the Vedic prayers, and thus he understood that the devotees' prayers were meant for him. Being, before entering the water to rescue the earth, Lord Boar flew in the sky, slashing his tail. At his, ha- his, um, his hard hairs quivering, his very glance was luminous, and he scattered the clouds in the sky with his hooves and his glittering white tusks. Now, <laughs> this is interesting because anyone who's been to India, or especially India, right, knows that the one thing you really want to avoid right, is if a pig goes into some muck and then comes out and shakes its body, right? You want, you want to be as far away from that shaking as possible, otherwise it gets all over you. But not when it's Lord Boer, not when it's Varaha. They all became, you know, like, really blissful, that it's like, it's like um, uh, when, uh, when, uh, when uh, Arteek, when people, you know, you know, it's that. So that's the difference between Varaha Dev and an, a regular boar or a regular pig because <laughs> that is that is definitely you know the thing that I you know one always is careful about like cause there's a lot of pigs in India in Vrindavan and if they've been you know in the muck and stuff you, you know you want to stay as far away from them walk around them as far as you can if they're about to get out from there because then they shake their body and, yeah you don't exactly feel purified he was personally the Supreme Lord Vishnu and was therefore transcendental. Yet because he had the body of a boar, of a hog, he searched after the earth by his smell. His tusk was fearful and his glance over the devotee Brahmin is engaged um, and he glanced over the devotee brahman is engaged in offering prayers. Thus he entered the water. Diving into the water like a giant mountain, Lord Boar divided the middle of the ocean and two huge waves appeared as the arms, it sounds like a tsunami. Right? As the arms of the ocean, which cried loudly as if praying to the Lord, O oh Lord of all sacrifices, please do not cut me in two. Kindly give me protection. Lord Boar penetrated the water with his hooves, which were like sharp arrows, and found the limits of the ocean, although it was unlimited. He saw the earth, the resting place of all living beings, lying as it was in the middle of the creation, and he personally lifted it. Lord Bor very easily took the earth on his tusks and got it out of the water. Thus he appeared very splendid. Then, his anger glowing like the Sudarshan wheel, he immediately killed the demon Hiranyaksha, although he tried to fight with the Lord. Now, there's a lot of details about that pastime in later chapters. Just mentioned briefly here. Thereupon, Lord Bor killed the demon within the water just as a lion kills an elephant. The cheeks and tongue of the Lord became smeared with the blood of the demon, just as the el- an elephant becomes reddish from digging the purple earth. Then the Lord played like an elephant, suspended the earth on the edge of his curved white husks, tusks, like we see here. He assumed the bluish complexion like that of a tamal tree, and thus the sages headed by Brahma could understand him to be the supreme personality of Godhead and offered respectful obeisances to him. All the sages uttered with great respect, O unconquerable enjoyer of all sacrifices, all glories and all victories unto you. You are moving in your form of the personified Vedas, and in the hair holes of your body, the oceans are submerged. For certain reasons to uplift the earth, you have now assumed the form of a boar. So Prabhupada writes in the purport, The Lord can assume any form he likes. Who's going to stop him? you going to stop him? Since his form is transcendental, he always appears as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, as he is in the causal ocean in the form of Maha Vishnu. Innumerable universes generate from the holes of his bodily hairs, and thus his transcendental body is the Vedas personified. He is the enjoyer of all sacrifice, and he is the unconquerable Supreme Personality of Godhead. He is never to be misunderstood, to be other than the Supreme Lord, because of his assuming the form of a boar to lift the earth. That is the clear understanding of sages and great personalities like Brahma and other members of the higher planetary system. So, you know, who's going to stop God if he wants to peer out of the nostril of Brahma? You know, if it wasn't, you know, we, we, we coined this phrase in the 60s, far out. If Krishna's if pastimes weren't far out, then they'd be too, they'd just be too ordinary, you know. So this is certainly far, far out, but as he says, is never to be misunderstood to be other than the supreme Lord. And one, one interesting, um, one interesting proof. Of course, we can talk about different proofs, but one for Prabhupada, an important proof, was that great scholars would write commentaries on these things. If they just thought it was some kind of fairy tale, you know, I mean, they write pages and pages and books on on it. And and even here, he also says. Uh, that is the clear understanding of the great sages and Lord Brahma. So he considers that, we, you know, a, a, a bystander might think, who's Brahma, who are sages, you know. What, you know. But for Srila Prabhupada, they were an authority to be trusted. Like that. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on this? It's getting exciting, huh? So text 35, O Lord, you, your form is worshipable by performance of sacrifice, but souls who are simply miscreants are unable to see it. All the Vedic hymns, Gayatri and others, are in the touch of your skin. In your bodily hairs is the kusha grass, in your eyes is a clarified butter, and in your four legs are the four kinds of fruit of activities. O Lord, your tongue is the. So he's basically describing the Lord as the Lord of sacrifice. Uh, your tongue is the plate of sacrifice. Your nostrils is another plate of sacrifice. And your belly is the eating plate of sacrifice. And another plate of sacrifice is the holes of your ears. In your mouth is the Brahma plate of sacrifice. Your throat is the plate of sacrifice as known as Soma. And whatever you chew is known as Agnihotra. And then Prabhupada summarizes sacrifices by saying, one cannot achieve the results of sacrifice unless one observes the strict Regulations. In this age, there is practically no facility for performing sacrifices in strict discipline. Therefore, in this age of Kali, there is a stricture regarding such sacrifices. It is explicitly directed that one should perform Sankirtan Yajna and nothing more. So, the sacrifice of chanting Krishna's name. We can't even imagine what sacrifices were like in previous ages. Right, we have a little thing when we have an initiation or a marriage, right, and, and we we you know take out some uh, some fruits and sometimes we take uh, some um, aluminum foil, right, to, you know, <laughs> and take out a few bricks. But these were so opulent and so, um, um, yeah, so amazing, actually, so so our sacrifice will will be experiencing in uh, you know 40 minutes from now, right? This is the kirtan. that's the sacrifice for this age. Keep it simple. Kiss. Keep it simple, sadhu. (laughs) Any thoughts? Okay, moving right along. Wow, we're really getting a lot done today. Moreover, O Lord, Jai Sisi Gornitai, Shishi Radha Madan Mohan, Shishi Sitaram Lakshman Hanuman, Ki Jai. Moreover, O Lord, the repetition of your appearance is the desire of all kinds of initiation. Your neck is the place for three desires, and your tusks are the result of the initiation and the end of all desires. Your tongue is... So the idea, that the body of the Lord is different aspects of it are related to different kinds of sacrifice that's what's being said here your tongue is the prior activities of initiation your head is the fire without sacrifice as well as the fire of worship and your living force are the aggregate of all desires oh lord your semina is the sacrifice called soma yagya Your growth is the ritualistic performances of the morning. Your skin and touch sensations are the seven elements of the agni stoma sacrifice. Your bodily joints are symbols of various other sacrifices performed in 12 days. Therefore, you are the object of all sacrifices called soma and asoma, and you are bound by yajna only. O Lord, you are the Supreme Personality of Godhead and are worshipable by universal prayers, Vedic hymns and sacrificial ingredients. We offer obeisances to you. So these are all the prayers of the sages. You can be realized by the pure mind, freed from all visible and invisible material contaminations. We offer our respectful obeisances to you as the supreme spiritual master of knowledge in devotional service. O lifter of the earth, the earth with its mountains, which you have lifted with your tusks, is situated as beautifully as a lotus flower with leaves sustained by an infuriated elephant just coming out of the water. O Lord, as the peaks of great mountains become beautiful when decorated with clouds, your transcendental body has become beautiful because of your lifting the earth on the edge of your tusks. Prabhupada writes, when a cloud rests on the peak of a great mountain, it appears to be sustained by the mountain. And at the same time, it looks very beautiful. Um, this You might think that this was Photoshop, but it's actually not. It's a true picture. Uh, I don't know if you'll see it. It's from Walsenburg, Wasen- Colorado, but it gives you an idea of what, if you can see it, but uh, it looks like the, the mountain is, is holding up the, uh, the cloud. Right. There's a lot of them. I just googled uh, mountain peaks and clouds, and there's tons of them, but I found this one. <coughs> so that's the analogy given here. Similarly, Lord has no need s- to sustain the earth on his tusks. But when he does so, the world becomes beautiful just as the Lord becomes more beautiful because of his pure devotees on the earth. Okay. O Lord, for the residential purposes of all inhabitants, both moving and non-moving, the earth is your wife, and you are the supreme father. We offer our respectful obeisances unto you, along with Mother Earth, in whom you have invested your own potency, just as an expert sacrificer, puts fire in the Arani wood. Who else but you, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, could deliver the earth from within the water? It is not very wonderful for you, however, because you acted, you acted most wonderfully in the creation of the universe. Your energy, uh, by your energy, you have created this wonderful cosmic manifestation. So here's a, a talk about uh, a different worldview. When a scientist discovers something impressive to the ignorant mass of people, the common man, without inquiry, accepts such a discovery as wonderful. Right? So, uh, so, okay, so it, naturally we do that, right? So let's continue. But the intelligent man is not struck with wonder by such discoveries. He gives all credit to the person who created the wonderful brain of the scientist. So just like uh recently a big thing uh in the news is um uh what finding this uh this um archaeological dig that may show that man lived two hundred thousand years earlier, 100,000? did you anyone read that in the Yeah. Right? So that may seem interesting, but like from another point of view you might think, well, ten years from now they're gonna come another dig and come up with some other information, you know. Uh it, it's not so impressive to, 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 to a uh, person who's seeing the bigger picture, right? And also understanding, as I said, just like, for example, I'm very happy that um, uh, modern science, or, or let's, let's be more modern you know, medical science specifically, had, you know, may, has made some improvements. Because um, I had the same heart problem that my father had. My father had the surgery in the 1960s and it wasn't so successful he passed away a few years later um complications due to the heart but now repairing um in those days they would only replace a valve with an animal valve which they still do now if the valve is really messed up but they try to repair it instead so they've made there's there's significant advancement nih just over here just over here in bethesda they they do some cool stuff that can uh extend people's lives um Hmm. but the devotee says okay that's nice and just imagine you know and Krishna thank you so much for giving them the intelligence to come up with this (laughs) so they make that connection the Krishna sambanda the connection with everything so a common man is also struck with wonder by the wonderful actions of material nature and he gives all credit to the cosmic manifestation the learned Krishna conscious person, however, knows well that behind the cosmic manifestation is the brain of Krishna, as confirmed in Bhagavad Gita, Maya Dakshina Prakriti Suyate Satracharam. Since Krishna can direct the wonderful cosmic manifestation, it is not at all wonderful for him to assume the gigantic form of a boar and then deliver the earth from the mire of the water. A devotee is therefore not astonished to see the wonderful boar because he knows the Lord is able to act far more wonderfully by his potencies which are inconceivable to the brain of even the most erudite scientist." So for a devotee, they just it expands their view of the world and, and uh, the way things are, and, then, and um, that Krishna is inconceivable. And so, if we say, oh, I, I, okay, I, I understand how I he's inconceivable," no, that, that's hard to do because if he's actually inconceivable. <laughs> so, so uh, I've chose that purport because um, this is a far out pastime, um, but here Prabhupada is putting it into some perspective. Some thoughts on this? Okay. Well, we have three more minutes. Um, oh, Supreme Lord, undoubtedly we are inhabitants of the most pious planets, the Janatapas and Satyalokas, but still we have been purified by the drops of the water sprinkled from your shoulder hairs by the shaking of your bodies. That's what we were talking about before. <laughs> when he does it, the great sages feel purified. When a regular uh, hog does it, you like, ah, you have to go clean your clothes and take a shower immediately. O Lord, there is no limit to your wonderful activities. Anyone who desires to know the limit of your activities is certainly nonsensical. Everyone in this world is conditioned by the powerful mystic potencies. Please bestow your causeless mercy upon those conditioned souls. The great sage Maitreya said, The Lord, being thus worshipped by all the great sages and transcendentalists, touched the earth with his hooves and placed it on the water. In this manner the personality of God, lord vishnu the maintainer of all living entities raised the earth from within the water and having placed it afloat on the water he returned to his own abode if one hears and describes in the devotional service attitude this auspicious narration of lord bore which is worthy of description the lord who is within the heart of everyone is very pleased the Purport Prophet writes In his various incarnations, the Lord appears, acts, and leaves behind him a narrative history which is as transcendental as he himself. Every one of us is fond of hearing some wonderful narration, but most stories are neither auspicious nor worth hearing because they are of the inferior quality of material nature. Every living entity is of superior quality, spirit, soul, and nothing material can be auspicious for him like a uh, a fish taken out of water you can give him a new car or great lunch or whatever and the only thing he wants to be is back in the water it's the only thing auspicious for him so similarly for us the only thing us for the soul the only thing auspicious is to be reconnected with the lord Intelligent persons should therefore hear personally and cause others to hear the descriptive narrations of the Lord's activities, for they will destroy the pangs of material existence. Out of his causeless mercy only, the Lord comes to this earth and leaves behind his merciful activities so that the devotees may derive transcendental benefit. And time is up with only one verse to spare. So we'll finish. Uh, We'll do that verse next Sunday. I think there's a class next Sunday. It's because 4th of July is not till Tuesday, right? Okay, so on that note, have a wonderful week, and uh, all glories to Srimad Bhagavatam and Srila Prabhupada. Hare Krishna.